Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Ben Fern. Good to be with you, Paul. You okay? Just making sure we're behaving once again. I know. Yes. Yeah. We've got the dress code. We both got. We're on brand as well, aren't we? Yeah. We've both got our badges tuxedos, on. Tuxedos. Tuxedos. Yeah. yeah. Frank Sinatra yeah. playing quietly in the background. Absolutely. Another esteemed guest. We're going to be on best behaviour. Yeah. Very best behaviour. So um, we're in a different room today. I don't think we've used this room before, Ben. It's Hugh's office. Who we keep trying to get on the podcast. Yeah. He's, he's elusive, sort of, isn't he? Yeah. Hugh? Exactly. Yeah. He's Welsh as well. Which I'm allowed to say because I'm Welsh, but yeah, he's elusive and Welsh at the same time. But we've got a great guest, so I think we should crack on with the bio. Absolutely. That's okay. Delighted to have uh, Bishop Sophie with us, Bishop of Doncaster. So Bishop Sophie, the Right Reverend Sophie Jelly, was consecrated a bishop at York Minster uh, in September 2020. Soon after, she was installed as Bishop of Doncaster in Sheffield Cathedral. Uh, she trained for ordination at, is it Wycliffe Hall? Wycliffe? Wycliffe. Wycliffe Hall, sorry. Wycliffe. Come on. Theological College, I know, it's bad of me. Uh, where she gained an MPhil in Theology, Modern Christian Doctrine, from the University of Oxford. She was ordained deacon in 1997 and priesthood a year later in the Diocese of Bradford, serving her title post at St Peter's Church in Shipley. Uh, she's also worked with Church Mission Society, serving at Uganda Christian University for three years, before returning to the UK to become a resident minister of St John the Evangelist in the Diocese of Guildford. She's also served as Vicar of St Andrews uh, in Burgess Hill in the Diocese of Chichester, was appointed Assistant Diocesan Director of Ordinance in 2013, in addition to her role, and in 2015 was appointed Diocesan Director of Mission, Discipleship and Ministry and Residentiary Canon Missioner at Durham Cathedral. That's the longest title we've I know. So <laughs> Lots to sort of uh, unpack there. Uh, she's married to Chris and they have three children together. Sophie plays the violin and viola and is a soprano singer and has been a keen runner for many years. Bishop Sophie, welcome. Lovely to be with you. Great bio. Uh, I know, absolutely. A very sort of uh, esteemed sort of bio there, sort of background, which is great. If we sort of start from your beginning here in the diocese, so obviously a tricky time with the pandemic. I imagine there's lots of social distancing at the consecration. consecration. What yeah. sort of drew you here and what was that experience like? What drew me to the Diocese of Sheffield? Um, well, I first visited the Diocese of Sheffield in the Crossroads Mission back in 2015, uh, just a few months after my appointment to Durham as um, Canon Missioner at the Cathedral and um, the, un the very long title, um, uh, Mission and Ministry in the Diocese there. Um, Bishop um, uh, Paul Butler, um, Bishop of Durham, um, rang me up when I was still a vicar in uh, Sussex at the time and said, just want to get a date in your diary. You're going to be going to the Diocese of Sheffield with me um, and taking a small team. Um, we're going on mission together. Um, and um, I had no idea how significant that particular weekend would turn out to be. Uh, I had a wonderful time. I was placed in Ecclesfield Deanery. Uh, I stayed up high in Bradfield. We had wonderful hospitality um, for the weekend and um, got the chance to join in the life of the diocese just for a few days and thought, well, that was that was really great. Um, lovely diocese and didn't really think any more about it. Uh, but I do remember the finale um, of that weekend standing outside at Rotherham Minster in the square in Rotherham and having a profound sense of the presence of God um, on that Sunday afternoon as we worshipped together. 
Um, I really sort of sensed something of God's heart of love for the people of this area um, and just tucked it away, I suppose, as, as, a, as a great event and, and carried on with my job for the next, um, well, five years really in Durham, um, having a great rich experience. Um, and um, it was uh, in that time that I really sort of, I suppose I sensed a call to increasingly wider leadership and um, rather reluctantly, I suppose, I was asked to consider the idea of being a bishop. Um, and I don't think I was persuaded, if I'm honest. Um, I didn't think that would be a very appealing life for me. Um, but I did um, enter the conversation, at least, and thought, well, I'll have the conversation, then I can forget about it and carry on with my day job. Um which is always um, a slightly um, difficult thing to do, I think. Um, and uh, next thing I knew, um, having entered that process, I got a letter from um, Bishop Pete saying that I'd been shortlisted for the Bishop of Doncaster, um, which was a slightly scary to scary letter to receive just as you're going to lead Evensong in a cathedral. Um, so I tucked it away uh, for a couple of days and prayed. Um, and... Um, I decided that again that I'd go uh, to the interview, but then I could attend and be obedient and then forget all about it. Um, but as it happened, um, I was um, it, the sense was that I, I was the person of God's choosing for this role. And I had some really quite, um, I think they were particularly um, slightly sort of supernatural signs, really, that God was speaking to me on that very day. Um, through some particular words and pictures um, and um, I just knew that it, God was saying this is for you um, I haven't regretted that yes um, for the years since it sounds like it's very much a position that's evolved then because I think people are often called obviously to be a deacon to be a priest but a calling to be a bishop something that's not necessarily as common and you're initially skeptical of but obviously that sort of grew into into this position today well, when I was ordained in 97, um, it was just a few years after the vote for the ordination of women had gone through and it was a controversial issue in the college where I trained. Um, in the first year when I arrived, I, um, I was very young to do what I was doing and I um, had uh, been uh, sent to something called the Further Degrees Panel um, because although I was a theology graduate and I could have studied for two years and then been ordained, I had a slight panic that I might be leading people's funerals at the age of 20, 23 or something um, because I went to a selection conference at 21 um, and I thought, well, I could at least be a little bit older um, because I don't know if people will take that seriously. I, I You know, this is a big responsibility. Um, so in, and in the first year when I landed in Oxford um, I, I, to do the MPhil at the university, um, I, it was the first time that I'd encountered the the, the possibility that um, that my gender might be an issue for some people in the church. I, I'd been very supported by by men and women, and in a, and um, that had not really arisen in the um, even though I was part of the evangelical church, where that can be uh, an issue for people. And so that was a bit of a shock, if I'm honest. Um, and so I just really hunkered down and concentrated on my studies. Um, which I thoroughly enjoyed, challenging as they were in the in the university there. In the second year, I I sort of really focused on my dissertation and and tried to get on with um uh, the being involved in the local church where we lived, which is was a great joyful experience and became our family. We'd only just got married really, so um that was wonderful. Um, 
And then in the third year, a friend challenged me to um, uh, take on the role of, of, or consider taking on the role of student president um, in the college there. And um, I thought, well, I've got a bit more time. I've completed most of the MPhil work. Um, and uh, so I said yes. And that was a really growing experience for me, um, really understanding um, the complexities of um, the, con the context of, of the church at that time around um, women's leadership, particularly. We were a very small minority within the college. Um, but I had great support um, uh, from my male peers as much as the small group of, of women that were there at the time. And that was a formative experience for me. I was on the um, the, the council the, um, for the college. Um, and so I suppose I really sort of started to learn to lead on a wider scale even before my curacy. Um, and um, and then curacy again was a was a great time of, of growing. I had a um, really encouraging training incumbent who treated me as an equal and had been ordained for as long as I'd been alive and started at the same age as me. So God has a way, I think, of providing the kind of um, context that you need at the time that you need it. And just sort of fast, going fast forward mm -hmm. again, back to uh, your consecration here at mm -hmm. Sheffield Cathedral. Um, I've seen sort of the promo photos before I was here at the diocese, but um, obviously social distance sort of photos. Obviously a brilliant moment for you, but was it sort of strange at the same time because of that global background? Yeah, I think it was a diminished experience of what it might have been, if I'm honest. It was a special day. I felt that God was very much... Um, present in the context um in the beautiful minster um surrounded by people who um who love and support me and were um important in my journey but but only 19 of us all together in a very large historic building um is a very strange experience and also we were still masked so i couldn't even see all of their faces um and only revealed my own um some of the time um, and um, it was also live streamed. Um, so um, my, my school friends um, uh, projected me very large onto a wall in one of their houses and watched it together. That was quite comedy. Um, and um, also my parishioners who were going to come out in droves from places I've served, you know, I missed out on seeing all of them. Um, I'd been in post really for six months by the time the consecration had happened because I was licensed as... Um, commissary for the Bishop of Sheffield and and Bishop Designate of Doncaster. I actually kept a diary called the Diary of a Designate, just thinking one day I might sort of publish something. Um, it, it, I'm not sure whether I ever actually will, but it was a way of monitoring my own um, experience and learning and sort of regulating my own emotions at a time when actually there was a lot of uncertainty and fear around um, and I was part of that. I wasn't immune from it. We'll read the book, definitely, if you do choose to publish <laughs> yeah. it. It almost sounds like president-elect, bishop-elect. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah, 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 in Air Force One. So you said there that you started your role into ministry quite young, really. Yeah. Um, so when did that really start to form in your, in your mind, in your life? When did you feel that sort of call to God? Was that even back as far as your teenage years that you felt that call or... How did that sort of start to form a, forming you? So I didn't grow up in a Christian um, household. Um, it was um, through an invitation to a youth group um, at the age of about 14. Um, and um, 
I had lost my dad very suddenly um, and I often say that I lost my earthly father and I gained a heavenly father. That might sound a bit um, trite, but it was really significant. Um, that's obviously a key age in life and um, it was a really difficult time. Um, I think that um, the call to leadership came probably really early on and that was formed in me partly through life circumstances, not really by choice as such, although I guess some of it's about personality. Um, but um, I have a, a, a brother who's disabled who's three years older than me, so I was always like the older, younger sibling in the household, I suppose. Um, he's one of my greatest teachers still, um, so that's not a lesson that's finished in life. It goes on and it keeps me really humble um, in terms of the um, blessing that is to me. But I think in terms of calling myself a Christian, um, I'd say that I made the decision to follow Jesus at the age of 14 in December um, very clearly. I know when that happened and I know that life changed. I didn't have the assurance that goes with that, probably to call myself a Christian very publicly for about two years, um, even though I would go to the youth group and really received wonderful teaching. Um, and then going to university, I felt audaciously that theology was the only subject worthy of my attention because um, <laughs> if that's what life was about, um, I don't think that now, but I, I did really value um, that opportunity. Um, and I went to study in a place deliberately where comparative religion, as it was called at the time, was a key theme. Because I wanted to be a religious affairs correspondent, I decided that I'd be the Kate A.D. of the religious world. Um, and then in my just in the, towards the end, I realised I've actually chosen all the Christian um, studies and the advanced Greek texts was probably not quite the thing um, that I would have chosen had that been my life call. Um, and uh, so I thought it was world mission at first, which came later. Um, but my vicar then sent me to go and see um, the director of Ordinans. And um, again, I remember feeling very reluctant, but on the journey uh, to that conversation, feeling a really strong sense of the presence of God and then testing the call by a couple of placements that I um, organised and feeling like I was born to do this, actually. Um, and uh, it all followed from there, really. So it's quite a quick journey from a 14-year-old yeah. girl meeting Christ or meeting God for the mm -hmm. first time to this 18-year-old, I'm going to do theology that's worthy of my time, to move on to that. It's quite a quick journey. It's not like you were brought up and this is where your path yeah. was. It's, it's an interesting journey, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that has shaped who you are then, that that was clear to you at an early age, that this is God has called me into something? It's quite a big call that early, isn't it? We've had people on who've known quite young that they've, they're called to something, and other people that it's been quite a pull. It's been a hard work to get them there. But you obviously got that definition quite early, even though you've said some stuff around reluctantly as yeah. well. Yeah, I, I think my reluctance was probably to, to be able to recognise it and name it. Um, was, it took me some time. Um, partly because I didn't fit, I couldn't see that many people like me. Somebody like you that yeah. could model themselves. Um, yeah. I did have a really significant, um, I mean, I don't think I would have called her a role model at the time, but she was in my awareness that the church where I came to faith had um, a 
a, a, a lady called Helen who was completely blind, so relied on a guide dog, single um, and a deacon in God's church. So walking around in a dog collar. And I don't think it really occurred to me that she didn't celebrate communion at the time, um, only later when I understood what a priest is. Um, and uh, so she was just very present in my um, experience of church. So I suppose I didn't think that women were not present in the way that some people lived with. Um, I'm not sure it's that that drew me, but it certainly perhaps removed an obstacle for me, which could have been there. Um, I think for me, it was about prayer and um, um, Bible study, really in the quiet place, um, that really began to sharpen my vision for what my purpose of my life uh, was. I think leaders ask the question, what's it for constantly? And I was asking that about my life, partly because I'd experienced significant loss and hardship. And when you do that, you start questioning the purpose of things um, very vividly. So I, I don't think I would have chosen that experience, but I think it's what that did to me. Yeah. You've touched on it briefly already, mm. but obviously a big moment in the, the 90s was allowing the ordination of women yeah. within the Church of England. Mm. Do you remember that moment sort of I where do. you were? Yeah, I remember exactly where I was. Um, I was um, I was singing um, Evensong with my university chamber choir um, in uh, York Minster. Um, and um, uh, for some reason, um, the verger, I think it was, came out in front of the congregation before it started in the quiet lull before even song as people were gathering and or as the service started and he said I'm I, I must I make this announcement today the Church of England has done this and I remember standing there I was in the first sopranos of my music already um you know in my choir outfit whatever and I felt like this bolt of electricity went through my body um and I didn't tell anyone and I didn't know what it was I just remember I've got to remember this moment. Um, and then strangely, when um, the, uh, I wasn't, uh, I hadn't particularly been involved in any of the sort of groups that were um, uh, were campaigning about the ordination of women to the Episcopate. I was monitoring it and watching it from afar and just getting on with the job I was doing to the best of my ability because that was the strategy for me in terms of how to inhabit this space, I suppose. It, it still is really. But um, I remember the... Um, the vote going through for that, having um, kind of um, failed once um, and feeling this overwhelming sense of joy, not for myself. And I'm a runner, as um, uh, I'd already, uh, you've already read. And I went and put on a purple running top and I went running around my parish. Um, I did a couple of laps in joy and um, jubilation to give thanks to God for what would, would come from that. Again, it wasn't for myself at the time, um, but just the joy of um, God calling women into this space. Yeah, it's it's an extraordinary moment, isn't it? And we've had a couple of people that have experienced, you know, Amanda Barraclough experiencing that and stuff. Do you feel that? I think when I look around society and and we we look at major institutions still, and you know, reports continue to come out about misogyny and and race and so on. Do you feel that within the Church of England that battle, if I was the wrong word, or maybe that 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 job is now done? I know there are other things happening, but Around that, you were there as it started. Your journey's been part of that. Do you feel that that has been sorted or is there still issues, do you think, that need to go through? I wouldn't necessarily use the word battle, though. No, I that understand was why. Me, you... No, honest, no, it's OK. Yeah. But I, I understand why, why you might use those terms. 
I, I, I'm constantly paying attention to the question of culture. Um, I, I think that's what um, we we can never be complacent about culture. We can have a whole um, discussion about that, um, I'm sure, at length. Um, but it, but if culture is kind of the way that we um, do life together um, and what we experience day to day, um, I, I think that we're learning a huge amount about what healthy culture um, can look like. Um, when Jesus talks about coming and bringing life in it, all its fullness um, and all being welcome, uh, I, I think that that we need to um, really pay attention to the question of who, who's not in the room, um, putting on um, other people's lenses, walking in their shoes. Um, I, I think the church has tra- changed beyond um, recognition in that sense since I first encountered it as a, as a teenager, um, sometimes not in good ways, uh, but I would hope overall in ways that are more attuned to what's going on in the world and how people's lives are. I actually think one of the biggest minefields in the church in terms of culture is class. Um, and, and that is one of the things that I really think we're finally um, paying attention to. I think we have to look at everything in the round. So the, um, you know, the, 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 um, the widest possible lens on culture is important. Um, but but I, I think that's one that we're, we're beginning to address um, in a more uh, productive way than we have done in the past, I think. I think another key challenge in terms of messaging, I think, is on social media. Um, speaking for myself personally, I am very thin-skinned and, you know, there's lots more hate comments that go around in the world, which yeah. I think is hard to sort of wash over. Um, on things like what's called X now, but it was Twitter, yeah. um, a lot of the clergy support is mainly positive, I'd say, but there is the odd what offensive misogynistic comment that comes through do you have to be thin-skinned to sort of deal with a thick skin side to deal with that or is it something you just have to sort of tune out when it happens yeah I've, I've had lots of conversations over the years funnily enough about thin skin and thick skin and um it's an interesting one really i don't really want to be a thick-skinned person um i think um i really like jackie pullinger's thing about having um a soft heart and hard feet she talks about um with her work in with um um, in drug you know drug drug addicted um people and um she she talks about how often or in 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 one one quote that she thinks that often people have hard hearts and soft feet um and 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 i um i think i don't i want to be a tender-hearted person so that that inevitably means that you've kind of got to let stuff in a bit, doesn't it? I think the question of what you let affect you is important. And we're all um, people with feelings and uh, who experience the stresses and strains of the world. So, you know, I can be caught in a difficult moment like, like others. So, what, what, or, you know, there'll be times when I'm not my best self, I suppose. But I try not to cascade that out into the world of social media and the echo chamber that is I think if you've got something um to say it should be it should generally be something positive or don't don't say it at all um but I also think it's about the mechanisms you have to process those things and the support that you choose to surround yourself with so I have a few people that I deliberately invite to challenge me in my life 
um they've got full permission to go you know gloves off if they need to um and i will listen to those people um in order to sharpen myself i think so i think that's perhaps a different way um in answer to your question but uh, important for how that communication then is received i think it's a fine line is it i think that sounds like a more constructive sort of criticism that can be welcomed i just think so part of my role is looking at the social media channels and again most comments are very positive but sometimes i see a horrible one which Mm. isn't constructive it's quite Mm. offensive and i just think how much bishop sophie or bishop pete feel seeing that and i just think that must be a very hard thing to deal with yeah, I guess I'm. I'm. I mean, it's a conversation I remember having with my um, children at one point about how the kind of the more public your leadership role is, the more likely that stuff is to happen. Um, and people make you know making spurious or malicious complaints. You know that 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 we're all potentially on the recip- recipients of that kind of thing. Um, and um, yeah, I think I think that is challenging. I'm glad I don't have your job, actually, Ben. I think it's a really hard time to do so uh, in comms. <laughs> um, I think you do it really well, but I think it is hard. And sometimes people just say nasty stuff because you know they want to be antagonistic. You know, let's not be naive about this. Um, sometimes people can be really destructive, and sadly, in our world, we're seeing that writ large in lots of ways. But I think even at a personal level, that that happens too. Yeah. And it's tricky, isn't it? Because I think even if you can brush it off and say that is they're being antagonistic in the mm. sake of it, it can still be yeah. very hurtful. Yeah. Um, sort of looking more positively, you mentioned earlier on about uh, you running. I want just to quickly mm. touch on last year you did the London Marathon. Yeah. Really great achievement. And as you mentioned with your brother, for a cause mm. very dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah. So I ran for MenCap and um, you had to, I think you had to raise something like £2,000 to um, earn your place, as it were. And um yeah, people were so generous. It was more than double that um, in the end. And that obviously was a really motivating uh, thing. I think the thing I hadn't expected about it was just to see the joy and goodness of people. There was not um, a step of that run, apart from the little tunnel you have to go through, where there wasn't a crowd of people cheering um, cheering me on for 26.2 miles. And I had a a, a, a vest as you know that said Bishop Sophie on it and you know, there's people standing there shouting Bishop Sophie you've got this I'm thinking you've never met before <laughs> you don't know I've got this <laughs> but I appreciate the sentiment <laughs> so that, that was really lovely and there's a slightly crazy picture at mile 23 when I've kind of weirdly got both my arms in the air shouting hooray or something when I, maybe the end was in sight <laughs> was it Chris that took that photo your husband I think that it might have been my, it was either Chris or my really dear school friend, um, uh, Denise, who they basically blessed them uh, as a, as a, they were partners in crime for the day and they just ran from place to place around London um, to just cheer me on at significant points um, and um, joined in the fun, which, so I think they were more tired than me when it, <laughs> when it came to the final. It was, it was just such a great photo because I run far shorter distances than that and I just look fed up towards the end of a run you just well again mile 23 had this big grin on your face I just... yeah I think it's slightly hysteria by then um, but also I did spend most of the race which is rather humbling following um, a, a person dressed as Big Ben and on the back it, uh, back of them it had a sign that said um, something like you've just been overtaken by Big Ben I was <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you mentioned earlier um uh, the ideas around poverty and class yeah. in the Church of England. And there's some really interesting work being done on that yep. at the moment, isn't there, about yeah, there is. how the dispossessed can enter churches. Yep. Um, and uh, and that is absolutely important as we go forward. I noticed on your CV that you worked in Burgess Hill. Mm. 
and and Guildford Surrey area mm. and I know those reasonably well mm. from business trips mm. which has a certain air of affluence around that so how did that sort of sit in amongst that it's absolutely important that we look across all classes all wealth indices but how yeah. was that formative for you as well yeah so I I mean I've served probably um half my well more than half my time probably in places of deprivation in terms of ordained ministry um so so yes the village um in Surrey was um I mean Dice of Guildford was very affluent by um global standards um and even UK UK standards um I think one of the things I've learned is that human need actually is the same everywhere um our need for to feel loved and that we belong um is irrespective of of actually what how much we possess in material terms but um i've also been part of something called um the families and households commission and we produced a report called love matters just um in april of this year um big plug do recommend reading it it's on the church of england website um um and that does really show that actually if you are in a situation of poverty or financial and housing instability everything in life is harder um so um i think we do need to take that message really seriously my own um formation if you like was um uh, in a in a in a reasonably um i guess I, i'd always kind of had had enough um going on not supremely um affluent um but actually not um uh constantly um and certainly in the places where i've served it's been rather mixed so um the diocese of bradford well now the episcopal area of bradford and the diocese of leeds to get that correct um yeah um is um was was very mixed so there was a there was a an estate um so the local primary school i did an after school club every week um, and the housing estate was by, was far from affluent, and the the other half of the parish up the road, the big houses, um, certainly were. Uh, that would also be true of Burgess Hill. You could basically split the parish to, from left and right. Um, on on the one hand, you know, uh, on the right hand side, you know, the houses were which were kind of a, a million or so, um, and on the left, um, the poorest wards in in that part of of um, the, uh, the the county, um, and. Um, uh, the troubled families agenda was very much part of that. They don't call it that now, thankfully, no, yeah. which is um, good. Um, but we, you know, we set up mentoring programs for people who were struggling, um, referrals by the police and that kind of thing. So I've had a lot of experience of that working in County Durham. I mean, the poorest, the highest child poverty stats are in the northeast of England. The life chances um, in, in one particular parish, for example, um, differed. Um, by 18 years from one end of a parish to another due to poverty and health inequality that goes with it. Um, my call to serve in Doncaster was very much about um, that, actually. I feel like Durham was really formative for me in that way. Um, that um, Doncaster, the so- South Yorkshire's, got the most fabulous people um, and these riding, of course, mustn't forget Gaul area. Um, but um, I think one of the things that I'm really frustrated about is that um, there's the health inequalities and the inequality of opportunity in some of our communities. That's just plain wrong. Um, and I would stand up and be counted about that um, in any way that I can in my leadership. Yeah. And, and you see part of that as your ministry to call that. Absolutely. That do. spade a spade to yeah. call that out and say yeah. this is the reality. 
and yeah. the call of the church to do that as well. Yeah, I do, and I and I think um, we've got to be careful, um, kind of what that the, the messages we're speaking are the messages we're living. I think the integrity question is always really important. Um, but I am absolutely convicted by a God of justice. Um, and I believe that Jesus calls us to um, to, par- to participate in God's justice, his heart for justice in the world. Often it's the church filling that need, isn't it? We see yeah. with um, things like social supermarket, with, with food banks, um, people getting involved, even if not necessarily from a faith background, they're, just, they're seeing the working out of the gospel in those areas. That's right. Last week I was at the Conversation Club in Doncaster, which is for refugees um, and asylum seekers particularly, um, uh, many of whom don't have a bank account or an address to call their own. Um, and um, I, I was quite ashamed hearing some of the stories um, that, that they were telling me. Um, and I was um, really honoured to be able to look them in the eye and say, you are welcome in Doncaster. Um, and um, that that actually really matters. Um, it matters to me personally and uh, ministerially as well. Um, and I'm really um, delighted to see how some of our churches are responding to that challenge. Uh, one one guy I met had been baptised at Rotherham Minster and um, was talking about how transformative um, being a member of the social supermarket was for him when he had nothing else. Um, and that matters. Yeah, my wife Becca works at Burnley Food Bank yeah. and um, last night they took uh, a, a young Iranian girl that has uh, fled and is here and has finally got right to remain after a traumatic journey yeah. as you would know to yeah. get right to remain it's just a horrific story and her friends and she's just got right to remain so they took her to a Persian restaurant last wow. night and gave her food Wonderful. Here you go. I'm off again um, and it was it's just fantastic yeah. to get to that moment but the difficulty of getting that moment Becca comes home some nights and sits down we just yeah. look at each other and think this this is bonkers yeah. this, what are we about here yeah. And it, it's absolutely part of our gospel to call that, isn't it? Yeah. And, and call that spade a spade. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's, again, it's pushing back. I'm not trying to get too political here, but oh, there can be. Ben, you oh, no. Was, <laughs> that sort of outreach way can be criticised. The Church of England, bizarrely, can be criticised in that way of almost, um, you know, if if in any way they're being critical of the government, for example, they're, they're told just to. It's almost the equivalent of saying stick to football if football pundits pontificate about things like this. Yeah. Um, but actually, you've got to call out that social justice, even well, if it does offend people. Yeah, I think I think politics is about people, isn't it? Um, and um, wherever there's people, there's politics, or small or large P. Um, and I think that um, and we have to check our own hearts about our own personal interest in all of this. As I, I think, um, you know, I think that's true for politicians too. Um, but but I think that you you, you scratch the surface and. Um, most people want a safer kind of community where they live um, and uh, so I do I do a networking breakfast twice a year I think you've come to one actually Ben um, and uh, they're, they're really popular and um, uh, been an effective way of trying to bring people together from across our community and I say you know we don't particularly do um, we don't re- do religion and we don't do politics at them so there are religious people there and there are politicians there but actually we're we're here to talk about how we can be the best we can be to be a safer kind of Doncaster. Um, and um, that's led to all kinds of um, collaboration and um, different pieces of work and relationships that are having a positive impact in our community. And I think the convening power um, of the church sometimes can be really helpful in bringing some good uh, in the world. But I think staying out of politics isn't really an option um, for us as a church. No, absolutely. Um, 
it sounds like a superhero question. It's not. I'll use the term origin story here, um, which I've used before on the podcast. It yeah, does sound no, it's like okay, a, Ben. It, yeah. We're not going down the Marvel route. We're no, okay. we're not. Not yet. Not yet. Um, but I know you spoke about this recently at Church House when Alicia Cook came to speak, yeah. who's been on the podcast recently. Um, you've got a sort of Jewish heritage and Ukrainian heritage. Is that right? Uh, my dad was Jewish um, and um, all that side of the family. Um, and um, there's some Holocaust survivor uh, sort of um, and um, uh, story in that. Um, when our part of our family fled, it was the it was a bit part of Russia that would be now Ukraine. Um, so, yeah, there is that in distant, not not present um, relatives. Um, and that's been, I think, quite formative in my understanding of myself. Definitely. And, you know, especially with the lead you take on things like uh, racial justice, racial yeah. diversity, that having that sort of experience throughout your family must really inform that. Yeah, I think that's true. We also worked in Uganda with the Church Mission Society where we were the um, one of the only white families um, on a, a huge um, uh, campus with many students, um, as was the only white um, baby um, at the time. And so li living in a minority was really important for me as well. Um, and just the, ex I went to learn what is gospel apart from culture. And I learned that you can't learn that because gospel is always enculturated. Um, and um, I think that um, I'm just really aware of that because there are so many different cultures in our society um, that, that must live together. Um, and I think just having that lens was a really useful learning experience for me in ministry fairly early on, actually, because you meet people from all over the place. Um, and uh, in every situation. So, um, yeah, and I think, again, it does come back to issues of, of justice um, and um, God's heart for his people, really. And as we were saying, we had a, a Black History Month special recently with sure. Anissa Cook, and it is on us to do more and for it not to fall on the same old people to have to spread that message. It is on yeah. everyone collectively to do more yeah. to promote racial justice. That's right. There's a, there's a book written called Weathering, and it talks about the... Um, physical and emotional and psychological impact for um, people of global majority heritage to bear the weight of this seeking after justice uh, day after day, year after year in their lives. And it actually has a detrimental impact. Um, and so it's important to to get the balance right and not, and it's some people talk about kind of white saviour complex and that's not right either. But I think working together with people um, and hearing their vo voices and honouring their stories is something I take really seriously. Absolutely. And it's, I think it's very important. And clearly it's been one of your priorities as bishop. Um, again, coming back to when you sort of started here in 2020, did you have a, a list of targets you wanted to achieve in your time as Bishop of Doncaster, or, you know, <laughs> aims to deliver? <laughs> Checklist. Well, Checklist sounds a bit too, I don't know, glib. <laughs> I mean, you know my colleague Bishop Pete, so I obviously had a very clear um, job description. Um, and uh, I like to think that I um, <laughs> um, have delivered on some of that. Um, but um, no, um, I suppose when, in seriousness, I think some of the priorities um, definitely resonated with my own heart and call. Um, I, I had been frustrated in theory about the role of bishop before being one because people kept asking me what a bishop is and I said well I, I can understand the definition but it but it, it does depend on the context how you'll play that out so funnily enough I did have a kind of hundred days plan um before <laughs> I started yeah a little bit I mean I wouldn't have it called is, it that it is West Wing. Um, <laughs> but yeah I do like West Wing um but but I um but then of course COVID and literally COVID three days before um, consecration so I got a call on my mobile from the Archbishop saying I'm sorry we 
that you know the government's shut the church we can't consecrate you um it's it's all off um and then i think it was the first license by zoom but um but i but obviously that plan then really changed and what was interesting was that the priority um was already i think there but became very clear that this was about people because for me ministry is about loving god and loving people and if we don't have those things at the heart of it i don't know why we would do it um and so actually sitting um on my bottom in a chair for a whole day ringing a list of clergy to see how they are and what's going on in their communities became the priority or zoom calls or or whatever but but that was the thing um and i think supporting people um is something that the church um should like have running through it like a, a stick of rock really um and if that's missing then i think we've got to ask ourselves some very serious questions about um our mission so for me as a bishop i think i am a people person i really love um meeting different people in different places um and um so it it's it's that's continued to be sharpened i think in my vision over the over the um last few years and it's been lovely to see in my time here and the again i mentioned the more positive side of social media it's uh whenever you've tagged in the diocese handle where you've gone to meet a school or a group of people or a church it's been great to see you going across the diocese and again meeting people and clearly having a, a positive impact there mm-hmm. yeah so I'm, cha- I'm chair of the board of education so that's a great excuse to be in school almost every week um and there's nothing like the funny questions that children ask you so um yeah so a so little four-year-old puts a hand up and says why did why did god make the world um and, and another one puts a hand up and says um how old are you are you 100 um i think you know so you know you've got to stay humble haven't you in that situation but it's always a great joy and to worship with the children they are some of our worshiping communities and schools are it, it, you know more vibrant than some parish churches it's a wonderful experience i want to just flag quickly as well um as this goes out it's after where you say fortnight but yeah. um you've helped lead with the Bishop's Badge competition, which has been brilliant. Well, um, wonderful Hannah Sandoval, um, Lights for Christ Enabler, has really um, led on this, and it's been a joy to join in with her and the Arise um, Network, actually, for um, positive impact across Sheffield um, in terms of um, Christian faith. Um, so, yeah, I think the Way of Faith Fortnight isn't something I'd really come across um, before, and um, I know it's been really impactful here, um, and the um, the idea of having a, an opportunity for the children to design it, I think children involved in things is always a good thing. But the response we had was just overwhelming. And so, um, yeah, we're looking forward to um, uh, uh, just continue seeing where that goes, really. Um, but, yeah, to celebrate with the children doing um, a, a an event on um, uh, the, the for those who, who got special commendation. Um, so we're going to celebrate that at Rotherham Minster um, uh, we will have done that by the time this goes out but really looking forward to that and you had a happy problem didn't you where there were so many great designs to go through and very thoughtful designs as well yeah we really uh, they were very prophetic actually we thought um, the, the overall winner we chose just simply said forgive um, and if you think about um, what's going on in the world um, if we are if God gives us a strength just to do that um, that's a transformative message isn't it um, and one that's difficult to do, but um, easily overlooked. Yeah, that was from the Rock Christian Centre, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah. yeah. One of my, yeah. my son Theo is married to John and Trisha's daughter Beth. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Wonderful. we have a great affiliation with them. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Ezany who designed. Uh, absolutely. Right. Shout out. Shout out to the Rock Christian Centre. Yeah, and though. so um, we had a great diversity of 
of both church and school um, entries, actually, and um, children from um, all ages and different backgrounds, which was which was great to see. But um, yeah, I think we need to listen to the voice of our children as a message. So thank you so much for your time. It's been fab. Thanks for talking to openly about stuff. We always sort of finish with a few um, questions. We try and keep Ben off Marvel if we can, unless there's a... The, and, there is yeah. an anecdote that's coming, though, oh, so is there, I'm afraid oh, that's going to be Marvel right, related. Anyway, so I'll go in first. So we always... Uh, most of the people that we've had on the podcast, our readers, uh, love books just by the nature of the profession. So what have you got on the go at the moment? And, and I say this most times, both, both light and heavy. Oh gosh, um, I'm really uh, I read voraciously, but I can never remember the answers to those questions when people um, ask me things. So, so I love a novel. I always have um, at least one um, on the go, um, and um, and actually, I'm reading um, um, a novel um, by a Doncaster author actually at the moment, um, who's coming um, to the breakfast and has done faithfully, um, and it's um, the story of the Durrells by Melanie Hewitt. Um, and I'm reading it because um, because she's from Doncaster, oh, um, and um, so um, Is that that, about that's, Gerald Durrell that's a Durrell. It's, a, it's a fictional tale um, inspired by um, the Durrells, actually, and um, so I'm enjoying that. Um, and um, in terms of um, more um, wider reading, I also listen to um, uh, Audible in my car. I do loads of driving. Um, and um, I've really enjoyed the Deborah Levy um, Living Memoirs series recently. They've been uh, magical, actually, um, kind of mixture of um, kind of um, experience of a woman, um, uh, woman's life, um, philosophy um, and story all rolled into one. Um, I particularly like the um, vision she has for influencing the next generation. She talks about gathering young women around her kitchen table and the kind of stories they would tell. And I, I rather like that. We're great podcast fans, so there's quite some great ones available for your car as well. So um, I need to catch up on those. We've <laughs> <laughs> got a few friends of the podcast. We've we? a few yeah. friends of the podcast. Yes, very much a friend of the podcast. Um, well, this is your anecdote, Bishop Sophie. So I understand you've met Thor, otherwise known as Chris Hemsworth. Oh well, uh, uh, met is a kind of um, I have encountered Can we get you on the podcast. <laughs> wow. So well, while I worked at Durham Cathedral. Um, that the Avengers movie was um, being made, um, which, as you can imagine, was very exciting um, and um, gathered crowds. Um, so I can say that I have um, carried Thor's hammer and met the raccoon. Um, but I did. We were strictly told where we were allowed to go and where we weren't allowed to go with our cathedral key on that day. Um, and I think I missed the memo one day because <laughs> I did let myself into a room where there was a certain film star um, which I um, never confessed, but um, I can probably safely confess now I've left and we're on the podcast um, and we're just talking to a few hundred people maybe. But anyway, um, but uh, but thinking about it now, yeah, um, I, I did um, in, in encounter the, um, probably the, the star himself, yes. He's on next week's episode. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me that. <laughs> I, I would, it'd be fair to say it wasn't probably a memorable encounter for him. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure in a podcast somewhere he's talking about. I was at terrible. Yeah. You were going to try the accent. Uh, no, I don't know what that accent was anyway. But it was amazing to have the filming going on in the cathedral, actually. And um, you'll you'll know this 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 scene where it's it's Thor's mother's bedroom. I think it is. They turned the Galilee Chapel into this sumptuous uh, 
feast with a wonderful candelabra and it was just beautiful. So, yeah, we got a sneak peek behind the scenes. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that would have been Avengers Endgame, wouldn't it, where they yeah. sort of go back in time. That's right, yeah. It, I have to say it was about 10 seconds of the movie, but anyway. <laughs> um, I'll stray away from the nerdy yeah. questions. Um, we know you're a keen runner. Mm. I seem to remember when you were um, training for the half marathon, the full marathon, sorry, uh, you didn't run with music. I didn't. No. No. Which I think's really, yeah. I know it's, it's down to preference, but I thought that must have been quite a challenge in a way. So I, I use running um, for prayer and um, I have a sort of playlist in my head of worship songs and psalms and liturgy, I suppose, which is a bit nerdy. Um, but yeah, so I kind of um, used that um, store in my brain, I suppose, to do that. I also like hearing the sounds of nature. Um, I went running this morning and I saw two deer in the woods in Doncaster. So there's nothing better than that. The sounds of nature. It's a form of praying, is thing you said, yeah, whilst you're running, which is yeah, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I when I used to run, it was you know nothing in my ears. I know I can't get this, I can't get this phone on your your arm listening to music. I think you're going out running, painful enough already. You know? I'm one of those. Sorry. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> We're not all as slick as you, Ben. <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fab, a real treat to speak to you. And thanks for your your stories. And thanks for all that you do in the diocese. I know it's your job, but thanks for all that you do. You've been really generous for your time today, so yeah, thank you very right. much. Oh, it's been so, great to be with you. Yeah, thank you. And um, so, as ever, words of grace at sheffield.anglican.org if you'd like to get in touch, make some comments, um, be chatting with us. And um, the, the, the brace of bishops, as we're calling it, will go uh, out on a, a Tuesday and a Thursday together. So thanks for listening, and thanks so much to Bishop Sophie for her time. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.